Welcome to Irish Passport. Uh, let's do it. Welcome to the Irish Passport. I'm Tim McInerney. I'm Naomi O'Leary. We're friends. Can you Naomi? Anwar Fad Tim. This is your passport to Irish culture, history and politics. Uh-huh. I'm recording. One, One two, two, three. three. Okay. Hello and welcome back to the Irish Passport Podcast. Today we're looking at a scandal which dominated British and Irish headlines earlier on this year. But this wasn't just any scandal. It got right to the heart of systemic discrimination against one of the most marginalised communities in both the UK and Ireland, the Irish traveller community. It revealed that not only was large-scale and systemic discrimination against travellers still rife, but that companies could be shockingly blasé about integrating discriminatory policies into their everyday businesses. Right. We're talking about the Ponton scandal that broke into the headlines a few months ago. In early March 2021, it emerged that the British holiday park operator Pontins had a blacklist of certain surnames, which staff were instructed to exclude from bookings. Right. Now, this was actually a list of fairly common Irish surnames, but they were chosen in an attempt to exclude travellers specifically. In the meanwhile, they inadvertently swept up a good chunk of the general Irish population uh, with them. So today we'll be digging into this episode and how it highlighted the issue of systemic exclusion of travellers from everyday life. We'll be exploring this issue with our guest, Martin Beans Ward, a stand-up comedian and host of the Has Beans podcast, uh, who tells us how the travelling community has been trying to tell people about issues like this for years, but how their voices are very rarely heard. How can you say that you're being discriminated against if you're, if you're a traveller? Well, predominantly, it's down to your name. It's down to your surname. And this is what Pontins had clicked into. And we'll be hearing about how discrimination works from the inside, from a man who spent decades working inside the industry of camping and holiday parks, who explains how management instructed him and other staff to exclude travellers. And he reveals that this is an endemic practice, not just in Britain, as the Pontins scandal showed, but also in Ireland. Every time there's a booking, you're listening for an accent you're listening for a surname or observing how they're going to pay. Mm. And it's, it's, it's wrong. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I left the industry. Okay. Now, Naomi, as some of our listeners might remember, we did an episode on the Irish traveling community a few years ago. Uh, so if any new listeners want to find out more about the history and current day realities of the travelers in Ireland, you can absolutely check that episode out. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. But I think there's two important things to mention here. Firstly, for our international listeners, who exactly we are talking about. Irish travellers are an ethnic minority group who have formed an integral part of Irish society for centuries. Today, there are just over 32,000 travellers in Ireland, according to the most recent official figures, uh, which represents less than 1% of the population as a whole. But historically, this community has been disproportionately affected by poverty, by poor housing access and health issues, all of which are driven by discrimination. There are also some 19,000 Irish travellers living in Britain, according to official figures, where they are also recognised as an ethnic minority group. And that's why this particular scandal that we'll be discussing involved a British holiday site. 
And the second thing to note is just how ingrained anti-traveller discrimination is in both countries, but especially in Ireland. Uh, in many ways, this is one of the last quote-unquote acceptable forms of discrimination in Irish society. Otherwise, liberally-minded people can be surprisingly frank about their prejudices against travellers. And the whole discourse around travellers' rights is often mired in just loads of negative stereotypes that often have very little to do with reality. One listener to the show wrote in to us about this. She'd moved to Ireland from America and was confused about how Irish people could be so tolerant in some context, but suddenly come out with crude stereotypes when it came to travellers. The whole language of anti-traveller sentiment reminded her, she told us, of the kind of discrimination against black people that she was used to seeing in the United States. I spoke to Martin Beans Ward about this. Martin is a stand-up comedian and podcaster. He's a traveller himself and he has an excellent podcast called The Has Beans Podcast, which we will link to in the show notes. My name is Martin Beans Ward. I'm from Galway. I'm a stand-up comedian, a writer, a playwright, a podcaster, an egalitarian, a dog lover, a poet. I'm everything that I can be. We'll be speaking to Martin later on in the show, but I was interested to hear his thoughts on this outside perspective of anti-traveller feeling in Ireland. I want to read to you um, a message that we got from a listener once. Um, She wrote to us and she said, Hi, I love and enjoy your podcast so much. I lived in Dublin for three years and it answers a lot of the questions I had when I was living in Ireland. But one of the topics you haven't explored yet that I'm really hoping you do is a history of the travellers in Ireland and why things are the way they are today. I'm black and American and the way that people talked about the travellers while I was there was eerily similar to the way people talk about black people in the US. Um, They were described to me as lazy and violent and ignorant and untrustworthy. And whenever I asked questions or wondered aloud about this incredibly damaging characterization of a community, no one seemed able to give a straight answer. I was just generally shocked because I had experienced Ireland as a place that was affirming and accepting of my identity as an African-American woman. After growing up with the American racism, it had been so wonderful to live in Ireland. Not that Ireland is somehow untouched by global anti-Black racism, but the burden of it felt so much lighter and so much less limiting and dehumanising, particularly as American. And I know I met Black people from Africa whose experience was very different from mine, but it felt like a place where I could just exhale and take a little break from the unrelenting racism of the US. But hearing the way people talked about travellers in a country that I experienced as so welcoming and accepting was jarring and it really hurt my heart. And I felt so confused because I was never able to understand the history and context of what I was seeing. So I really hope that you do a podcast on the travellers. I thought that was a really powerful message. Yes, it is a powerful message. Really, really powerful message and touches on so many great points. The first time I ever felt privilege in my life was when I went to Rio de Janeiro. I went into the favela, Hacienda favela. It was there that I was reminded that the colour of my skin mattered so much. They didn't even know about travellers or ciganos, as they call them, which is Portuguese word for gypsies. They didn't know or care. I was white. I was a foreigner. I had money and I had privilege. And I, I never experienced privilege like that before, where I could go to another country and I'm seen as, you know, somebody who's affluent or you know, is even treated better than the locals of that land. So in order for me to feel privileged, I have to go to another country. Uh, So when I came back to Ireland after that, I was reminding myself constantly that what we have here is a systemic thing. 
listening to that lady speak about how her colour was an issue in her home country and where it was lessened when she came to Ireland. Well, that would be my experience when I leave Ireland. I, I, I'm treated much better when I, when I leave the country. The kind of blanket discrimination touched on there is often most apparent in the service industry. For much of the 20th century, discrimination against travellers in pubs, restaurants and hotels was more or less completely tolerated. And as the recent scandal clearly shows, anti-discrimination laws have not done nearly enough to prevent this happening. And this brings us back to the Pontins incident, which really shone a light on quite how shameless this discrimination can be. Yeah, so Naomi, if I understand it correctly, the real bombshell of the Pontins incident is that it revealed, in a rather unusual way, like documentary evidence of how this kind of discrimination works. It showed how, even though it's not legal for pubs, restaurants or hotels to openly discriminate against travellers, some businesses systematically ask their staff to look out for quote-unquote clues, like surnames or accents or other tells to exclude certain clients. This is something that travellers have long talked about, and it's definitely something that people were aware of anecdotally, but it's very rare to get this kind of concrete proof, which also reveals the mechanics of how all this works. So here's what happened. It all came to light because of a whistleblower, an employee at Pontins known as Ian, who came forward in February 2020 to flag a problem that triggered an investigation by the Equality and Human Rights Commission over in Britain. The whole story was revealed in a scoop by Chris Green and Cahill Milmo in the I newspaper. Now, if you're not familiar with Pontins, this is a holiday park company aimed mostly at families. They offer fairly affordable accommodation in holiday apartments like chalets or bungalows, uh, all on a site where there's lots of entertainment to keep children occupied and give them opportunities to play with other kids. So it might be near a beach, for example, there would be playgrounds and organised activities, and there would also be stuff for adults like bingo or live music uh, in the pub or whatever. So what this whistleblower revealed was that Pontins had posted a notice on its internal intranet for staff about bookings. It had the title Undesirable Guests, and it was accompanied by like a little cartoon of the wizard Gandalf with the words, you shall not pass. So the whistleblower, Ian, said he was instructed to print off a copy of this document to place it in his personal folder with various guidelines and instructions for booking agents. And he also said that printed copies were available to other members of staff. Here's what it read. Please be aware that several guests are unwelcome at Pontins. However, some of these will still try and book, especially during school holidays. We've been informed by our operations director that we do not want these guests in our parks. Please watch out for the following names for any future bookings. Now, this is a really long list of surnames. Listen to these, listeners, and see if you can spot the common denominator of who was not welcome at Pontins. In alphabetical order, the names are Boylan, Boyle, Carney, Carr, Cash, Connors, Corcoran, Delaney, Doherty, Doran, Gallagher, Horan, Keefe, Kell, Leahy, Lee, McLaughlin, McAlwick, McCulley, McDonough, McGinley, McGinn, McGuinness, McArg, McLawn, McMahon, Millahan, Mongans, Murphy, Nolan, O'Brien, O'Connell, O'Donnell, O'Donoghue, O'Mahony, O'Reilly, Sheridan, Stokes, Walsh, and Ward. Uh, lots of O's and Macs in there, as you'll, as you'll see. And the spelling, uh, in fact, in the official list is, 
is pretty pretty off. It's pretty mangled on quite a few of those names. So some of them are common traveller surnames, but they're also just common general Irish surnames. The whole thing mm. was so cack-handed that when this list came to light, it actually caused quite a lot of hilarity because, you know, of who they'd inadvertently excluded. Like, they'd just mm. kicked out Oasis, you know, the Gallagher brothers. They'd just excluded mm. the governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney. They've excluded, like, half the staff of the Irish Times, for example. <laughs> like, just for example, Murphy, like, really? Murphy is the most common Irish surname. It's like the equivalent of Smith in England, say. More than one in every 100 babies born in Ireland has the surname Murphy. Yeah, so quite a, a wide net that Pontins is casting there. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, it, you know, it annoyed a lot of people and it, it generated a lot of discussion. There was quite a bit of uproar about this among Irish people in Britain and at home. And it raised some interesting questions because it seemed maybe that people were only upset about discrimination against travellers now because it had inadvertently affected them by accident. Suddenly they could see their own name among those who were being discriminated against. I wondered whether, with such a broad list like that, was it the case that people in Pontins couldn't necessarily tell who was your common or garden Irish person and who was a traveller specifically? Mm. Like, is there a kind of blurry group of general undesirables there? Yeah, right. And certainly, I suppose, just not really caring if they, you know, if they catch a few uh, sharks and turtles along with the <laughs> with the desired catch, you know. Yeah, historically, of course, there has been a long tradition of discrimination against Irish people in Britain. And some of that does linger on, but nowhere near the extent uh, that it used to. So, of course, a lot of the uproar was because it did trigger memories of this history, you know, quite a dark history of discrimination against Irish people. And, you know, this for some people was like evidence that it was still going on. But if you look at the details of how the policy was operating, it's clear that even if some random settled Irish people were probably getting caught up in this net, it was designed to catch out travellers specifically, however clumsily. Mm. So here's what the Equality and Human Rights Commission found was going on in its investigation. So it found, quote, that Pontins was monitoring calls within its contact centre and refusing or cancelling any bookings that were made by people with an Irish accent or surname. A list of Irish surnames published on its internet page titled Undesirable Guests, which required staff to block any potential customers with those names from booking. And it was using commercial vehicles policy to exclude gypsies and travellers from its holiday parks. That's a reference to a ban on people who drive vans, which is a way of siphoning out traveller guests. Right. The guy who blew the whistle on all this, uh, named Ian, described his experience of the system in an interview with the I newspaper. He says he joined Pontins in 2014 as a holiday advisor and worked in the company's main telephone booking centre in Merseyside. So basically, his job was to take calls from customers who wanted to book holidays. And here's a quote from Ian in that interview. You were told from day one that you had to listen out for an Irish accent and find out as much as possible about a person such as their address and whereabouts. So if a person had an Irish accent and was calling from Ireland, then strangely that was okay. But if it was an Irish accent and the postcode was for a caravan site or an industrial estate in Britain, then that was a big red flashing light. At that point, we would have to signal to a supervisor to come over so that they could put on a headset and enter the call silently. 
depending on what they heard, it would either be a nod and a thumbs up to say it was okay to proceed, or you were asked to put the caller on hold and told, we're not having them. It was an instruction to refuse the booking. It was up to us to find the way to refuse. Now, Ian said the most common tactic deployed by staff just to find a reason to to refuse these bookings uh, was to tell the caller that their chosen dates and accommodation were no longer available, that they were full up. He said, I quote, You just had to lie through your teeth. Sometimes a customer would be on the online booking site at the same time, and they would say, hang on, if there's no availability, why is it showing there is availability on your website? I would then have to say something like, oh, that's a separate system, and we're on the master system, which is more up to date. Of course, they're both exactly the same system. Every now and again, a caller would twig and say something like, do you have a problem with me, or is it because I'm a traveller? We just had to say, of course not, and find an excuse to turn down the reservation. The Equality and Human Rights Commission found that this was discrimination against gypsies and travellers who are protected from discrimination under British equality laws. Alistair Pringle, the executive director at the Equality and Human Rights Commission, said, It's hard not to draw comparisons with an undesirable guest list and the signs displayed in hotel windows 50 years ago, explicitly barring Irish people and black people. Banning people from services based on their race is discrimination and is unlawful. To say that such policies are outdated is an understatement. The whole story had a really big impact. The Irish government actually even made a statement on it, with the diaspora minister Colin Brophy saying, quote, These actions have caused considerable hurt to the Irish community in Britain. This racial discrimination is unacceptable, and I condemn the use of any discriminatory policies by such companies. Now, Ponton said it had signed an agreement with the Commission to change its working practices. It agreed to carry out an investigation, to review its policies, and to train its staff in anti-discrimination measures. But the issue is much wider than a single company. When the story broke, many traveller activists came forward and said, yeah, like, this is exactly what we've been saying happens all the time, and we've been saying it for years, and nobody has been listening. And we can reveal some additional evidence that, yes, indeed, it does happen widely. Mm. This Pontins incident was not exceptional. Actually, this kind of discrimination is rife throughout service industries in Britain and Ireland as well. What's unusual really about the Pontins case is that there was this damning staff notice, like laying it out, um, enforcing Mm. it, that a whistleblower brought to light. Yeah, and and this kind of changed the game a little bit. Like we said, anecdotally, this is something that people knew about. But without proof, you know, travellers had a hard time finding justice for this. And they often found themselves basically shouting into the void about it. And relatively little has yet been done to tackle these more underhanded methods of uh, systemic discrimination. So after the story broke, I started looking into the situation in Ireland. Because so many people have those surnames that were listed, suddenly all of these people felt personally targeted by discrimination and were quite invested in the story. And it became quite a talking point. But there was a bit of an irony there because at the same time, as we've said, that kind of discrimination against travellers is an open secret in Ireland. So as I was looking into this, one person came forward who had worked on a particular camping holiday site in Ireland. And they told me that in the workplace, there was a clear instruction from management to discriminate against travellers. This all sounds extremely familiar now. They were told to inform travellers who inquired about bookings that the site was full, no matter what, and that management would use code words to talk about this issue, like, quote, the unspeakables or that Mm -hmm. crowd or you know who. 
And then another man came forward, quite bravely, I think, to speak on the record. Terry Byrne, who has decades of experience working in the industry in Britain and Ireland. So he went on the record to explain to us exactly how it works when it comes to excluding travellers. Let's hear from Terry. Now, once the drink starts flowing, it doesn't matter whether you're a member of the travelling community or a member of the, the self community. It doesn't matter. Right. So 11 and 12 o'clock at night, once alcohol is consumed, you know, the camp, the campsite is a very different place. Right, right. So you were saying when people book in, there's people listen for accents or, or how they might pay to try and figure out if they're travellers? Yeah, that's what I mean. And yeah. it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's almost a, like a fear. Mm. So every time, every time there's a, there's a, there's a booking, you're listening for an accent, you're listening for a surname, and you are listening to how they're going, or, you know, observing how they're going to pay. Mm. And it's, it's, it's wrong. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I left the industry. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all right for, for campsite managers and um, owners to, you know, tell their staff to be wary of the travelling community and it's the staff who are down in the site office, you know, that are confronted with this problem. And the managers and the owners just seem to, you know, they can't, they can't be seen to be involved with this type of discrimination. So they're, well, they're leaving it basically up to the site staff. It's something that comes from yeah, the top down. Yeah, in my experience then, you know, uh, everything is fine when it is fine. When something goes wrong, it's it's put back on the site staff to say, well, you know, what did you allow those people in here for? You know, uh, it comes back and it's it's wrong and it's unfair and it is a problem. Mm. And it was the same in Britain. Any of the private sites around uh, around GB, it's exactly the same problem. And in high summer, when somebody arrives at your gate late at night, maybe three or four of a group, you know, in caravans or in, in, in tents. You don't have to be, the caravans is a bit of a misnomer. Uh, they arrive up with cars and they just want to stay for one night. Um, most of the times that's fine, but sometimes it's not fine. And what is driving this? Is it complaints from other people who are also staying there? It is. It's complaints from other people who are staying there. Um, I don't know what it is about the travelling community, but they are they, they seem to be easily spotted. Uh, so when there's other residents on site, they immediately observe this because when somebody arrives on site and they're setting up, all of a sudden they're like, um, "Oh, this is this is good. Let's watch somebody set up." So you become very observant of people who are arriving on site, and members of the travelling community arrive on site. They put all their stuff together, they're ready to go, and sometimes they, they can be quite loud. Mm. And, you know, they attract attention to themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that either. And then people are being over-vigilant of this, and the next morning, as sure as night follows day, there's going to be complaints mm. to the site office. And then the reaction from um, owners? Well, the reaction from owners will, will just simply say to you, well, why did you let them in? I'm down at the, in the site office. I'm, there's people want to book in. They're standing in front of me. There's clearly plenty of space. What are you going to say to them? Mm. No, you're not coming because you're a traveller. Or no, you're not coming because we're fully booked. And all he has to do is look around and say, well, look, the spot's over there. So it's a really difficult uh, position for a site supervisor to be in. Mm. 
Right. You know, and it's not fair. It's not fair for people who are on pretty much the minimum wage to have to deal with this type of um, discrimination on, on not on a daily basis, but you know, on a regular basis. Right. Um, and then you mentioned that you know there is an issue sometimes with bad behaviour and security, but in your experience, it's uh, that the yeah. reputation or the association of bad behaviour with travellers is totally unfair in your experience. It's unfair, yeah. It, it, well, it can, not not in all cases, of course. I mean, there's there's exceptions for every member of society. But in my experience, in high summer, when you've got a full campsite and you've got a large number of families from the so-called settled community, you know, once the cans start flowing and the wine starts flowing and it's late at night, you're sitting around a campfire. It's just as noisy. They are just as noisy, if not noisier, than any other family, whether they're travellers or whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Because, you know, the consumption of alcohol has the same effect, regardless of your of your uh, uh, social status. Right. I was just wondering, could could you tell me any specific instances, or do you have any? Um, is there any paper trail that would show any of this kind of discrimination, like emails or texts or anything like that? No, I'm afraid not. Okay. I mean, there'll be nothing like that. this. Is just, you know, um, um, my it's wor- it's word of mouth. It's as it happens. There's nothing written down. I mean, I can give you one example. Uh, I won't name the site where I worked, but mm-hmm. um, uh, I was there one summer's evening, and uh, this young couple uh, with a small child arrived up in a car, and they wanted to book in for the night. Uh, it was obvious to me that they were members of the travelling community uh, by their accents and their surname, uh, believe it or not. And as a matter of fact, the chap even went on to tell me that he was a member of the of the of the travelling community, and he had just been given a new house in such and such a place, and everything was great. And he said, "I just want to book it for one night. I bought a new tent, and um, I want to try it out." So, of course, off you go. About twenty minutes later, another car arrived up. Uh, the same thing, another another couple with another child. I think there might have been a couple of children. This went on for about an hour, and they came in. in they came in after you know fifteen twenty minutes apart, and it ended up then there was a group of about ten plus their children. So an innocent um, small family overnight trip turned out to be quite a large gathering in the end. They all wanted to stay for the night. Uh, I had to leave because my I was coming to the end of the end of my shift, and the security takes over them. So I went home, and when I came in the next morning, they were gone, and there was there was a queue out the door of complaints, mm. of noise, uh, lighting fires, uh, screaming at each other in bad la- with bad language. Uh, they when they when they um, complained to the security company, they were totally inadequate. They didn't do anything about it. And um, it, by all accounts, everybody on site that night um, uh, had a dreadful time. And I confronted the management about it. And, of course, they said to me, well, what did you let them in for? And I wasn't prepared to take it. And I, I left over it. And that's the, that's the truth. That's how strongly I felt. I wasn't putting up with that. I am not there to discriminate against members of the of any community, mm. whether 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 they're travellers, whether they're not nationals, it doesn't matter. I'm not there for that. Right. I'm there to to sell overnight uh, camping spots, take in the money, make sure people are aware of the rules, and that's it. 
Right. So when I saw the Pontins article, I wasn't one bit surprised. Not a bit surprised, uh, and it's it, it becomes like Ireland. I'm talking about Ireland now, but it is just as much a problem in, in GB as it, as it is here right. at certain time of year. I mean, there's a lot of campsites, Naomi and GB, that will not allow you to arrive on site with a van. It, 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 even that can cause so much trouble. But if you have a properly run campsite with proper security and procedures in place. A little bit of mature approach to people coming in. I mean, there's no reason why travellers can't can't come on site, but it depends on on the enforcement. So, if the owner, let's say the campsite is in the grounds of the owner's own property, there's nothing to stop him from approaching a traveller group if he thinks they're getting noisy or they're getting out of control. That he goes over straight at the start and has a word with them. That's mm-hmm. fine. But you know. In my experience, not many owners are around after the hours of 8 o'clock at night. They mm. can't be seen. So you're dealing with site staff who are on the minimum wage, and it's not fair for them. You know, you walk into any group of people, whether they're settled people or, or, or travellers, when they've been drinking all day and all night, and you walk into that big group and ask them to be quiet, you know what you're going to get told. Mm. And that is the same for all people, right. not just the travelling So the tactics for discrimination mentioned here include looking out for people who are paying in cash, for example, and excluding them, or uh, singling out people who are driving vans. You'll notice that that was a method used by Pontins as well, according to the Equality and Human Rights Commission. And, of course, accent might be used, particularly in Ireland, though in Britain this can be more complex, as Terry explained. So it's one of the few environments, really, where you get a mixture of all sorts of people. So, picture you've got a man in a, a two-man tent that he paid 20 euros in Littles for, and he's there with his wife and child. And then a couple of yards away from him, you've got a, a, a chap from Britain who's in his motorhome that he's paid maybe 80 or 90,000 for. Mm. And you've got this, I'm better than you. And there's a lot of that goes on. So, we've been talking about the Seth community, we've been talking about the travelling community, but indeed, there's still a lot of prejudice mm. amongst people with their type of camping units. It's almost like a, a separate social standing within the campsite itself. What you're saying is quite interesting because it strikes me that maybe, like if there is that kind of snobbery and, and so on and that kind of discrimination, that list or policy of Pontins, although it was targeting travellers specifically, perhaps more broadly, was also targeting Irish people. What do, What do you think? Irish travellers are Irish, yes, of course. They speak with a particular accent, but it's an accent that maybe only we can recognise. If an Irish traveller goes to Britain and he's in the middle of London, people listen to him and they're just going to say, well, he's Irish. They may not necessarily be able to distinguish between a traveller Irish accent and say, you know, you and I with a Dublin accent. In the same way, if we hear a British accent, a lot of people wouldn't know what part of Britain they're from. So um, for Pontins to discriminate against Irish, I would say I would say that's probably right because, you know, if they're discriminating against Irish travellers, 
they probably will discriminate against against Irish people. Right. And of course, a lot of this is to do with uh, Britain's decision to um, to leave the UK, leave the European Union, because all of a sudden the country has become very nationalistic. I mean, I was there in 2016 when the when the Brexit vote came through, and I was also there during the campaign, and I was listening to ordinary people coming in and expressing their their views, their political views about um, about Ireland, about Northern Ireland, about the rest of Europe. Martin Beansworth, who we heard from earlier in this episode, has a particularly interesting insight into all of this. In his podcast, Martin travels all around Ireland, inviting guests into his camper van for conversations. And it's all part of bridging the gaps of understanding between travellers and the settled population. The Has Been Show with me, Martin Beansward. The podcast that travels in the back of a van. I suppose that the main reason why I chose the camper van was to invite people who would not normally have the opportunity to enter into what would be typically seen as a traveller or a minkier space. And it's about inviting them into that and showing them a bit of traveller hospitality. I, I make the tea. Let's take a listen to a clip from that podcast now, actually, where Martin interviews activist Anne-Marie Quilligan about the housing crisis among the travelling community. So in Ireland, um, travellers, even though we make up less than 1% of the, of the population in Ireland, we account for 12% of the homeless population. And traveller children account for um, 12% of the uh, homeless children in Ireland. It's not so much funding because the funding is there, it's the lack of implementation. There's no accountability for our county council that doesn't spend their budget. So rather than house a vulnerable traveller family, when the money is there, a lot of members of county councils would sooner see a family, a traveller family become homeless. And in saying that, I think actually in Dundalk, I read an article yesterday and I shared it on my Twitter account where I'm the homeless traveller family uh, were advised by the county council to put their children in care. That was their solution to accommodate. Put them into care. Provide. Yeah. So that's published now. That was actually being uh, reported on by um, the Irish Times, I think it is, yeah. What I consider, like I grew up in a council estate, and for me, that was such a privilege. Great neighbours. The shop was in walking distance. The school was in walking distance. And that really kind of comes down to, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, yeah. because we had, as a family, the basics in life, you know, a safe, secure home. And my parents had that safety net and that they could put a safe roof over our heads. So we flourished in our lives. Every one of the houses, every one of us was done to third level education or got apprenticeships or whatever the case might be. If a government invests in their people, they will reap the re- reward. In Ireland, a shortage of affordable housing has hit travellers especially hard, and there is a chronic issue of local councils failing to spend funds that they are allocated on facilities for travellers. Martin described how a lack of adequate housing can feed into a broader structure of social exclusion. Anne-Marie Quilligan now is what, what I would deem to be a fantastic activist across the board. In that conversation, we talked about the underspend with councils, where millions of euro that had been earmarked for traveller-specific accommodation had been sent back to the state. I mean, it's probably the only area where underspends to that level actually happen and where it's now seen as the norm. 
and it's 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 strange because you know there is a housing need we have a bit of a housing crisis going on anyway the issue that we have is more to do with the fact that there's money there to change that and that money's been sent back in this episode which was titled the pod the travelers took over which was an ode to an old inflammatory documentary that came out a number of years back that was called The Town That Travellers Took Over, which was more or less a hit piece towards the travelling community that were buying houses in a small town near Limerick. So it, it, it took off in a negative. And I just wanted to kind of, obviously because I'm a comedian, I wanted to kind of have a little bit of a dig. Um, and that's why I called the podcast The Pod That the Travellers Took Over. I asked Martin what he thought about the Ponton scandal. They were caught, basically. They were caught doing what a lot of other places would do here in Ireland. We, look, we know it exists, and it's only now that the rest of society is learning about it. There, there are times when people have to change their surname or using their middle name uh, to just just to book a room in a hotel. You know, that that this happens. Oh, I was down in Killarney in uh, 2019. To do, I was put on a comedy show. And when I got down to the hotel, they told me, oh, no, your room is gone. No, your room is double booked. Sorry about that. I'm really sorry. Now, bear in mind, I was to go on stage, I think, an hour later. I'm on my own. I don't know what what they think I was going to be doing in the, in the hotel room. But it's when they saw my passport, that's exactly when everything started to get flagged. Because for anyone listening, if you wonder how, how do people know you're a traveler? Like, you know, it's okay. We can understand if it's discrimination against somebody who has a different skin color. But how do people, like, how can you say that you're being discriminated against if you're, if you're a traveller? Well, predominantly, it's down to your name. It's down to your surname. And this is what Pontins had clicked into. And this is why Pontins had this blanket ban on people with certain surnames. It was to eliminate uh, the possibility that a traveller might actually use their services or book in. Something we touched on in our previous episode about travellers was the long-term effect of social segregation and alienation. The treatment of travellers today is not just an issue for the current moment. It reverberates for generations and it continually slows down efforts to build equal rights for the travelling community. Here's Martin again. If you're not allowed to go and socialise with your friends outside, it has a massive effect on you. And can you imagine going through school and all of your friends when you reach 18 and they all start going out and you're the only one not allowed in. And then you go to university all of a sudden, you know, you're not allowed to get served in certain bars. That happens a lot. And if you're excluded from that, you're not experiencing the social side of it. And if you don't experience social cohesion, you're not going to have social cohesion when it comes to adulthood. So you you take away any amount of potential for building social capital. And then when these young travellers reach adulthood and they have spent their whole life looking through the window of society, they're obviously going to have a lot of resentment, I suppose, towards uh, the system, towards the people who, who allowed this to happen. They're also going to be in a position where they have built up very few friends within the settled community or within society in general, outside of this little bubble. So there's a whole multitude of, of consequences to you know, pushing people up to the outskirts. I shared our interview with Terry, with Martin, to ask his thoughts on what it told us about how discrimination works from the inside. Martin, I might play for you a clip that I have of a former employee of a camping site in Ireland um, who opened up about his experience 
being instructed by managers to exclude travellers. You know, once the drink starts flowing, it doesn't matter whether you're a member of the travelling community or a member of the, the settled community. It doesn't matter. Um, did you get the gist of it there? Yeah, 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 I did. And it's quite sad to hear, actually. Really? Yeah, I, it, of course, because you're hearing it coming from somebody who is forced to do that. And by and large, by the way, when it comes down to being refused a pint at a pub or things like that, it's very rarely the fault of the person that's saying the words. It's always from from the management. It's always like the the, the, the bar staff or, or those receptionists at, at those holiday parks, they're just cannon fodder. They're just left there. And then, of course, you're going to have some situations where people get angry with the staff and they start shouting and roaring. And that just confirms then the, suppose the bias that the managers would have had. But like, of course, you're going to be angry if you're told, no, you're not going to have your holiday here because of who you are. Like, and it's horrible. It's horrible to put your staff into a situation where you're getting them to break the law and where you're getting them to treat people less than human. Just to hear that now, like, obviously, I know it exists, but I've never heard a staff member admit it. You know, some of these people would come along and they might go to my shows or they might see me on the street and they'd ask me for a picture. But yet, if my family went into their place, they wouldn't serve them. That that does affect you. But me, I'm thinking about my little nieces and nephews. I'm thinking about when they reach adulthood and they want to start going out. Is this ever going to change? Because this has been happening since I was younger. You know, and I'm 36 now. Back in 2019, Martin himself went public with his experience of being refused and cancelled bookings for venues for his comedy show. Sharing his experience shone a spotlight on the issue of discrimination against travellers. But he says that it also led to some positive things. Uh, the broader Irish arts communities rallied around Martin at that point to find venues for his tour. I myself, uh, as a stand-up comedian, tried to book several venues in 2019. And I was refused, refused by so many different places, being told that they're booked up for a solid seven months. And we're talking about one function room being booked up every hour of the day for six or seven months. And then when I asked them about, you know, okay, so what's your schedule like in 2020? I was just told, yeah, it looks like we're kind of busy at that time as well. It's only fair that I mentioned the positive outcomes that actually came down to settle people. So while, I, while I'm saying that, you know, I received a lot of discrimination when I was booking venues from settle people, if it wasn't for settle people in the end, and more specifically, uh, people within the arts community in Ireland, if it wasn't for those people reaching out to me, offering me their theatres, I wouldn't have been able to put on my tour. So there are so many good people out there also. It's not all Irish people that are racist. You know, we need to we need to remind ourselves of that as well. There are so many great people out there who do want to help. And when, when it's sometimes it's just a matter of reminding them that you need help. And that was the first time I ever had to lower myself. And I say lower myself because I should never have to beg to be given the same opportunity as other comedians. And to my knowledge, I'm the only performer or stand-up comedian in Ireland to have ever had a ready-made audience and having no venues to put on the shows. 
We'll publish the full interview with Martin as a bonus episode over on our Patreon page, uh, patreon.com forward slash the Irish passport. He's got amazing stories, amazing insights on everything from, you know, the housing crisis to his experience as a traveler. And it's just incredible uh, listening. So I really do urge you to go and check that out. Absolutely. There, there's so much more to say on this topic and it's definitely something that we'll be coming back to uh, in the future. And that interview is a really good place to start if you're interested in finding out more. But for now, I think that's all for this edition of the Irish Passport Podcast. Now, do share the episode with your friends if you liked it. And remember to check out our Patreon page for extra bonus episodes. If you want to support the show in other ways, uh, one of the most important things for us are ratings and reviews. So if you give us a nice review on whatever platform you use, that really makes a big difference for us. Thanks so much for listening and slán for now. Slán, everyone. Slán, everyone.